Welcome, David. There's been a lot of focus on the recent upturn in the numbers of COVID infections in the US. Are investors right to be concerned, or are these worries exaggerated? The COVID infection rate in the US is rising and fast. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the most senior US health official, recently told Congress that the virus trend is going in the wrong direction. And he expects a significant further rise in new cases across the United States. More testing does account for some of the increase in the number of new cases, but the positive test rate and the hospitalization rate is also rising, especially in states with a rapid increase in new cases. Spare hospital and ICU capacity in states experiencing the fastest growth in new cases is currently hovering around or started actually to drop below the 30% recommended by the U.S. Center for Disease Control. Younger people are accounting for a greater share of those testing positive. And given the progress in medical treatment, the rise in fatalities, which have been declining but lag cases by a few weeks, will hopefully be limited. So far, the surge in infections is concentrated in Sunbelt states such as Arizona, Florida and Texas, but is now extending across the US. But it's notable that where the fastest increase has been is is where the lockdowns were less stringent and they were also the first to relax restrictions. It's notable that New York, which was the initial virus hotspot, is one of the few states where the rate of new infections remains fairly low after a very tough lockdown regime. I think what we're seeing in the US is not a second wave, but an extension of the first wave of infections as social distancing has broken down, at least in some states. And I think investors, as as well as citizens, are right to be concerned. What are the implications for the US economy and recovery? The spread of the virus is a meaningful downside risk for the US economy. States with cases that are now rising by 15% or more on on a weekly basis, and put that in context, that compares to a 2% increase or or lower in the UK and across the European Union, now accounts for almost 50% of US GDP. Arizona has joined Florida, Texas and California in rolling back its reopening. And the share of US population in states where policies becoming more restrictive is around 30%. Even New York, that has contained the virus, is considering delaying further reopening. Some of this rollback will not have a big economic impact, so it's closing bars, reducing restaurant capacity, but there is evidence that consumers are becoming more cautious and companies are delaying plans to open stores and plants in the worst affected states. Despite the rebound in retail sales in the US, that latest data was actually for May and predates the recent rise in the infection rate. And I think it's important to remember that sales of goods account for around two thirds of total consumption. The rest is services. And that's going to struggle to recover against the backdrop of a rising infection rate. I don't think this infection wave will be as serious as the first, But the response of businesses and consumers, the partial rollback of reopenings, will, I think, hinder the US economic recovery. What happens to the fatality rate will, I think, be a key barometer 
for the economic as well as health consequences of this rise in infections. You've stressed the importance of the jobs market. Can you explain why it's so key to your view on the shape of the recovery? Yeah, so in my view, the pace of rehiring as economies reopen is central to the debate over a V-shaped recovery versus a long haul to get back to pre-crisis levels of output. The Bank of England's chief economist, Andy Haldane, set this out, I thought, quite well in a recent speech where he described a positive and negative feedback loops from the jobs market to consumer spending and the economic recovery. In contrast to previous economic downturns, household incomes have largely been protected by fiscal transfers and furlough schemes. As lockdowns are eased, pent-up demand is released. This encourages companies to keep and to rehire workers, further boosting household incomes and confidence, and that begets further consumer spending and hiring. So this is the positive feedback loop that will power a V-shaped or at least a very strong and sustainable economic recovery. But if rehiring is slow, companies continue to announce layoffs, households are worried and save more, spend less, that in turn will lead companies to cut more jobs. And so you get into a negative feedback loop that implies a much weaker recovery, persistently higher unemployment, and a long haul back to pre-crisis levels for the economy. And I think this also highlights the key role of expectations for future demand and employment. And here, I think it's, you know, the heavy lifting needs to be done by governments rather than by central banks. In that respect, I think in the near term, it means that Washington does need to agree another fiscal package as much of the existing support for households and businesses expires at the end of July. In Europe, the focus is getting agreement on the EU recovery fund and in the UK on fiscal announcements later this summer and the autumn budget. Additional fiscal stimulus would reinforce the recovery, raise companies' expectations for demand, make workers less fearful of losing their jobs. And so I think would help set the economy onto the positive feedback loop. What does the latest jobs data for the US tell us? Payrolls rose by 4.8 million in June. So it was another big positive surprise after the better than expected 2.7 million gain in May. The overall number of jobs is still down. It's still down by almost 15 million since the peak in February. But the rebound we've had in uh, US payrolls over the last two months you know, has surprised to the upside. It is good news. But when we look below the headline numbers, there are some troubling signs. The number of unemployed saying they had permanently lost their jobs actually rose by 600,000 in June. The weekly unemployment claims figures showed another 1.4 million Americans were laid off last week. And I think many of those now getting laid off are likely to be laid off on a permanent basis. And continuing unemployment claims remains at more than 19 million. And, and taking these figures as a whole, it suggests that the pace of rehiring out of unemployment actually dropped last week to 1.4 million compared to 2.6 million the week before. Now, the payroll survey was undertaken in the middle of June, and that was just before the latest surge in new virus cases. 
But the weekly unemployment claims data, although it's quite noisy, does capture some of the period in late June when we've seen this increase in the infection rate. And so it does seem to be suggesting that the pace of rehiring is starting to come down. And that might be due to the impact of the rise in infection. So as we've discussed in previous podcasts, the you know key uncertainty around the economic recovery is what happens to the virus. And I think that very much remains the case. Thank you for your time, David, and speak with you soon. Thanks, Alex. This podcast is issued in the United Kingdom by Blue Bay Asset Management LLP, which is authorised and regulated by the UK Financial Conduct Authority, registered with the US Securities and Exchange Commission and the US Commodity Futures Trading Commission, and is a member of the National Futures Association. This podcast may also be issued in the United States by Blue Bay Asset Management LLC, which is registered with the SEC and the NFA. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Unless otherwise stated, all data has been sourced by Blue Bay. To the best of Blue Bay's knowledge and belief, this podcast is true and accurate at the date hereof. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. This podcast is intended for professional clients and eligible counterparties, as defined by the FCA only, and should not be relied upon by any other category of customer. Except where agreed explicitly in writing, Blue Bay does not provide investment or other advice, and nothing in this podcast constitutes any advice nor should be interpreted as such. No Blue Bay fund will be offered except for suitant and subject to the offering memorandum and subscription materials. The offering materials. If there is an inconsistency between this podcast and the offering materials for the Blue Bay fund, the provisions in the offering materials shall prevail. You should read the offering materials carefully before investing in any Blue Bay fund. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction and is for information purposes only. No part of this podcast may be reproduced in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay Asset Management LLP. Copyright 2020, Blue Bay. The investment manager, advisor and global distributor of the Blue Bay Funds is a wholly owned subsidiary of Royal Bank of Canada and the Blue Bay Funds may be considered to be related and or connected issuers to Royal Bank of Canada and its other affiliates. Registered trademark of Royal Bank of Canada. RBC Global Asset Management is a trademark of Royal Bank of Canada. Blue Bay Asset Management LLP, registered office, 77 Grosvenor Street, London, W1K 3JR, partnership registered in England and Wales, number OC370085. The term partner refers to a member of the LLP or a Blue Bay employee with equivalent standing. Details of membership of the Blue Bay Group and further important terms which this message is subject to can be obtained at www.bluebay.com. All rights reserved.